giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robot Smashing Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Chad Pytel, and with me today is Jennifer Derry, founder of Plucky, a company that helps people work with people. Jennifer, thanks for joining me. Hello, Chad. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about the journey that you went on to arrive at Plucky. So the secret in my story is that I have a master's in French lit. Obviously. And exactly. And that I came back from Paris where I was doing that and had a job using French. But at a certain point, I realized I was using my master's degree, but not using my brain. If you study a language, people are either like, oh, you're going to go teach that language or you're going to go work for the U.N., like, that's what they believe you're going to do with that. Uh-huh. The UN is like really hard to work at. And also, right. there's a lot of stuff that some people don't want to get involved with, myself included, with the wars and everything. So I was like, okay, I, and I'm not going to teach French. But I, for a number of reasons, had gone on and, and pursued that as studies. And I'm so grateful, Chad, that I did because learning foreign languages allowed me to move into tech. Because when I got accidentally basically hired to copyright at a tech company, I walked into that first boardroom to hear like the onboarding speech about what they were doing with APIs for insurance software and whatever. And I understood maybe 30% of what was going on around Mm me. But I had traveled to Italy and ordered pizza, not knowing Italian. And I had lived other places and figured it out, right? And so there was something very foundational about humans that I knew. Mm -hmm. I knew how to be in a room and tell, okay, nobody trusts that one. Or like, oh, I see. Everybody really likes this one or that kind of thing. Anyway, I got hired by this digital agency called Arc90 in New York City to copyright for a product website. And from there, as with many people's career paths, you get invited to do things because you're hungry or you show curiosity or you have some extra time after 6 p.m. and you're willing to hang out and bug fix or QA or, you know, those sorts of things. And after a couple of years, they asked me if I would kind of head up HR. But I said, let's not call it that because I don't have a degree in that. So we called it employee development. So I was the director of employee development for about four and a half years. And the last jump I will make to Plucky is that I started noticing that the things that were happening internally at that agency, questions of career path, questions of title or hard conversations about you can have this raise or you can't this quarter, those things were actually larger than, of course, that agency. And Mm -hmm. that I saw there was space in the market for me to help companies with some of that more fundamental human stuff. Mm -hmm. So I started Plucky. Do the companies that work with you, do they come to you from a point of knowing that they have a problem and feeling acute pain and coming to you to help us solve this problem? Or is it more, we're pretty good, help us get better? It's often a perception of a lack. Mm-hmm. Like nobody's coming to me saying, oh my gosh, 80% of our workforce quit yesterday. Right. right? That's, that's like bigger things. But it is either like, we're doing B minus with regard to career path or retention or whatever, or even individuals who want me to coach them, you know, I'm okay, but I've plateaued somehow. Mm -hmm. How do we like go fast? How do we ramp up? And obviously in competitive spaces or markets, particularly a vertical like tech where you are all competing for similar resources, it gets interesting with who can offer what, right, as companies. And so for people to wonder how I can have a leg up on another employer and how I can gain the best talent or the most interesting talent to me, people come to me and they say, okay, I think we're ready, 
right? It's sort of an adolescence that mm-hmm. has emerged for them. I think we're ready to start naming some of these things. It is not that we're still in a garage building out our team. It's okay, we've got 30, we've got 100, we've got 500, whatever it is. Right. I think we're ready for something a little more serious with a capital S. Mm-hmm. And do they typically have an HR person or department that's bringing you in? Sometimes, although mm-hmm. I would say that usually once you get large enough to have an internal L&D, it's not that I shouldn't partner with that entity, but they have um, systems in place that make it a little more roundabout to sort of bring me yeah. in. And so in those cases, maybe I'm hired to coach like an individual, right, rather mm-hmm. than come in and totally redo a system. Mm-hmm. So it's maybe a smaller organization who's for the first time starting to think through performance reviews or maybe not first time, but, you know, really get more serious about it. Yeah. And so my entry point tends to be the highest level of leadership or someone on that yeah. leadership path. Yeah. So I'm curious, and if this doesn't work, we can scrap it and start over. But right. I could I could ask you, like, what are the typical problems that people have or what are the advice you have? I'm wondering if you would be up for it. And I know we, we only have, you know, 40, 45 minutes. Would you do a intro coaching sort of session yeah. for me? And yes. we can do that. Oh, my God. I love it. It's so meta. I also have these cards that I just kind of always have near me when I'm coaching other people. So we could also pull some cards for you too. Great. Okay, great. So you give me the go ahead and then I'm, when you're ready, and then I'm going to start coaching you. I was born ready. That's the right answer. Um, all right, Chad, in just a couple sentences, tell me what is your role right now and what does your day-to-day look like? So I am CEO of ThoughtBot. Mm-hmm. And... At ThoughtBot, we're primarily all designers and developers. So my perspective is helping clients as well as running the company and leading strategy for the company. Nowadays, I spend a lot of time leading the sales team, which is at ThoughtBot, that's a team of designers and developers who are booked with time to talk, to have the conversations with potential customers. And how big is um, ThoughtBot at this point? We are uh, 95 people. Wow, congratulations. Thanks. Are they all in Boston? No, uh, we're split across six studios, London, Boston, New York, Austin, Raleigh, North Carolina, and San Francisco. Okay, great. And tell me what your leadership team looks like or the other folks helping you run this ship. So we have a COO, his name's Matt, and we have a CTO, his name's Joe, and we have a chief design officer who's Kyle, and then a people operations director, Anna, and a VP of marketing, Lindsay. And then each of the studios has a managing director, a design director, and a development director. And they're the local leadership team. Cool. Thank you. That's like really good background. Sometimes it tells me different things that maybe become relevant. But I would generally ask you, how's work, Chad? How's work lately? My work is good. We're going into our 15th year as a company. And we've always said like, we don't plan on selling the company. We're not growing to go public or like that we're trying to create the kind of company that we could work at forever. That's what's motivating us. But 15 years is a long time. And like, I still don't have any plans on going somewhere, but the way I I phrased it to the team was, you know, we've said all of these things it's been 15 years now. It's clear that we really mean it. So let's think about what the next 15 years is. And like, 
we need a company that can run without me or, you know, like, Mm -hmm. so I'm still was very much still personally involved in a lot of what made the company like tick for lack of a better word. And so giving people more ownership over the individual studios, letting them run more independently and bringing people on who are experts in their role. So like the VP of marketing person is a new hire for us as of this year. Mm -hmm. And I've really been, I mentioned I'm really focused on the sales team, leading that team of designers and developers who are having the first conversations with customers. And that's what my day-to-day is uh, primarily. Yeah. So what do you want to do next? And I don't mean by that question after you quit your job and go surfing for six months, although whatever, live your best life, right? But like (laughs) when you think about your own career path, and I say this because I I think often CEOs forget they have path. Right. It seems like, oh yeah, you got, you got there. Now you're a CEO. Now you got 95 people, six places. Uh, You're done. Ding. Fully baked. But like, what are you curious about? What are you hungry to learn? Where do you see yourself going next? I'm really excited by the prospect of like being in a position where people, you know, thought about runs without me. That's not what I'm I'm saying. Like if I were to Mm -hmm. take a vacation or whatever, things would be fine. But what I'm really excited for is that it both simultaneously runs without me and like that people feel that they're doing it, (laughs) right? Not that it's just something that's happening, but that, that they're doing it. Yeah. What do you think in your gut, like what do you think needs to happen so that they feel they're doing it? Part of it is information and understanding and having made the decisions that are making things happen. Um, So you've been at an agency before, you know, like down to like what rates we're charging and how how we're doing, like just all of the individual, you know, managing a P&L for their local studio, like all of those things used to be done centrally and we're you know, distributing it and educating people and working with them to help them understand it. So what's next for me is being in that mode where like I can look around at the team and say, this is a team of people that is fully like actual, I don't know, you know, Mm -hmm, like like mm -hmm. fulfilled in their work and executing in a way where they feel like they're the ones doing it rather than it's a ThoughtBot thing or it's a Chad thing. That's what's probably immediately next for me. And then longer term, I've always been super interested and it's it's why ThoughtBot does things the way that we do is in having the best kind of company and constant improvement. And so we've built a lot of internal tools and that kind of thing to help us run better as a company. So I've been talking more about that. So I went to a design conference called Hopscotch Design in Raleigh um, about six months ago. And the talk I gave there was about how we use the same tools and techniques we do as designers and developers on our most important product, which is the company itself. So we create issues and bugs and everything for the way that the company works or if The example I always use is that the state of California passed a new sick time law, which was slightly incompatible with an unlimited sick time off policy. And like, Mm -hmm. that's really no different than like 
Apple releasing a new version of Mac OS, which is going to break one of our programs. Like yeah. we can log that as a bug and the whole team can know about it and it can be prioritized and worked on transparently so that when we then have to make a change to our unlimited time off policy, people aren't like, whoa, 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 what, where, what are we making this change for? Like, and they don't immediately fall to, oh, they're trying to, you know, this is a distrust thing. Like mm -hmm. it's understanding the reasons why and that it's a really sort of technical reason why we might make that change. And it was mm -hmm. done and worked on in the open. So we're doing a lot of that uh, where you're using the same tools and techniques on the company itself. So I'm really excited about that and telling people about it and and working. And I, if, if I had to pick something which like might be even within ThoughtBot might be next for me, sort of yeah. moving up the stack a little bit and doing yeah. more speaking and more communication, blogging about those kinds of things as well. What I think is so interesting about that is that you are bringing familiar metaphors to the team about things like iteration and growth mm -hmm. that they're really familiar with. So um, you're normalizing that, right? So that moment of, hey, this is no longer compatible with what I thought you were. You're saying, no, 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 no. Hey, you actually handle that eight hours a day also. Mm -hmm. when you're building software, right? Mm -hmm. This is just our version of this. And it calms things down and it makes it less a personal like Chad with his whole plan for California, you know, like it, it reduces it to sort of a friendlier atmosphere mm -hmm. of sort, right? Mm -hmm. And then the other thing, it's funny, I teach a manager training a couple times a year. And one of the things I say is that people new to management or leadership have to go through a sort of creator grief like they used to be the maker of the thing and now they manage the maker of the thing in many cases. And that question of was it a good day or not? Like what was it a good day? Nobody quit. You know, you're, you can't run any QA tests at the end of your day as a manager. Right. That's not a thing. And so to first of all, get them to sort of mourn that for a second and be sad about it. And that's fine. But then to make space to see, oh, wait a minute, you're still designing and you're still building, you're building a team and your new currency is humans. It's just not code or pixels, right? And I think that's similar to where you're sort of headed with this mm -hmm. thought process, the meta about the work mm -hmm. and yet applying those lessons to the work. What feels like a stretch goal for you? Like if you were like, Jen, in one year, I'm going to have, you know, be on Oprah or what's your, what would be amazing? <laughs> <laughs> so even just long-term planning is a little bit so we're doing more of it now and we, we set out what we think the 10-year shape of the company is. That kind of thing is very, um, not something that comes naturally to me. I'm much more focused on being fulfilled in the moment. I always have been. <laughs> so that's a actually maybe difficult question yeah. for me. Also, I've never been one to make like very grandiose plans when I do them. Like even even the 10-year plan is like, no, we're, we're going to have a very, pretty modest thing because we're more focused on being fulfilled in our work and long-term mm -hmm. sustainability than we are in like taking over the world. But at the same time, I believe we have a better way to work. And our purpose as a company is to try to discover it and share it with as many people as possible. And so the stretch goal would be to figure out ways of doing that without growing to some thousand person consulting company like a lot of our friends and competitors have. Okay, so what if we replace the question about your stretch goal with like, oh man, I'm going to sound really Berkeley here, but like your stretch dream or your stretch mm -hmm. joy? It's not a thing where you put a metric 
on a, you know, a spreadsheet and a slide, and then you have a board meeting in six months to see how you're doing with it. It's just a thing where you're like, man, if that happened, I'd be like, pinch me right now. That is crazy. I can't believe that just happened. Right. Yeah. And I, I, so I think it would be sort of that where we feel like, or I, I feel if if this is personal, like that I've had a significant impact on the way people work. Yeah. That would be awesome. I have the same answer. (laughs) Checkmate. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So one of the things, like I'll go a little meta here because we're having this kind of meta coaching session, Mm -hmm. right? But one of the things that's going underneath here is obviously I'm like, okay, who's this guy, Chad? Where's what's he? We've never met before. We haven't talked. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like what's his dream? You know, your different personalities show up in different ways. And um, where are you going? And I think... Uh, I think I said this a second ago too, but like nobody asks people at your level, what's next? What are you hungry for or curious about? And um, that is not good because you need to have the same sort of curiosity or excitement or hunger that you are hiring people to bring, Mm -hmm. right? And so you know that, I mean, 15 years is a long stretch of time. A lot of the world has changed in that time you've been doing it. And yet sort of you have obviously successfully recalibrated yourself all along the way to remain invested and curious and and continuing to build something successful. But there's a certain point where you reach a plateau, Mm -hmm. right? And then you wonder like, all right, well, what if I just like Totally have a giant different metaphor that I reach for or something like that. And so now what I would throw back to you is it sounds like some of what you're talking about is almost like curriculum building of sorts. Have you ever thought about what that would look like? And if that's something you can do, have started doing, think about? So at ThoughtBot, we've we've always done, or since 2008, done technical training. So training design and development, we worked with Kaplan to build a a bootcamp for developers and designers called Metis. So we have a very sort of mentorship learning driven culture. Mm -hmm. And what's fallen out of that is that more technical training. So we have a site called Upcase where we share a lot of that stuff. People can subscribe and get videos and training, but it's all, it's all like how to be the best or a better designer or developer. Um, is mm-hmm. what we've focused on because that's very tangible. And it's also how, the way that we can most have a Im- direct impact and what people will hire us to do. Yep. But it's been difficult. It's a whole nother business. And I think that's where we struggled is we've hit plateaus in doing that where it gets to a certain size and a certain scale. And it's it doesn't reach escape velocity outside of like the opportunity cost versus the consulting application design and development that we do. Yeah. So if how to be the best designer and developer is already something in the repertoire, mm-hmm. what is this new era called? Like how to be the best. Please note the abnormally long silence because Chad <laughs> is searching his soul. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's both simultaneously expanding and going up the stack, which is how to be the best company. Like so many, part of when we started, what was the fire that like drove us was that in some ways it was even worse uh, than it is now in terms of toxic cultures in tech. Now we're very aware of things like inclusion and that kind of thing. But back when we started, even just around sustainable pace and working sustainably and the sort of like startup culture And we've actually, 
I think in part because of what we've done, but the community in general pushed back on how the relationship between management and developers works mm-hmm. has changed over the last 15 years. And in beginning, that was really something that was driving us in terms of that, a passion to like fix that. Like designers and developers should not have the relationship that we do with our businesses and with the the management of our companies. It shouldn't just be seen as something that you do, let's just like tell to do things, mm-hmm. but rather it can have a seat at the table and you can be a better company and have a better product when there's a transparency and back and forth and there's a real, and you know, we've seen that more companies have chief design officers and, and that kind of thing. And so I don't want to say like management consulting, <laughs> but sort of like management consulting with a very technical kind of how to be a better working company kind of way by having um, a very collaborative process and design and development in particular. I mean, I think how to be a better company is like pretty much the biggest. Well, maybe how to be a better human would be a little more large scale, but yeah. like dreaming big, love it. I think also some of what you're talking about, transparency, back and forth, obviously all these sort of manager tiers and the relationships between all these people that make things. Clearly in 15 years, you have learned things about humans. What have you learned? What do you know about humans, Chad? (laughs) (laughs) So let me preface this by like, I think at ThoughtBot, we have insulated ourselves somewhat by making certain choices around the kinds of people we have, like who are a good fit at the company in in terms of values and purpose alignment. Mm -hmm. And so many companies probably say this, but like we, we really do avoid some of like the typical, like political bureaucratic problems that a company might have. And it really does come from being able to have honest conversations with each other and having a level of trust one of our values is self-management. So, you know, the kinds of people who do well at ThoughtBot don't seek permission for something, but rather take initiative to do things on their own and rather than seeking permission to do them. Mm-hmm. And having recognized that, building a culture of trust flows from from that. Where like when you trust that someone's like that they are in charge of their own work, you can then trust them to do a good job and they can trust you. And then from that trust flows a very collaborative environment and transparency around decision-making and and what you do. And so you can do things like open up the majority of the company's financials that a lot of companies are doing, but you can't do that without a foundation of trust and self-management and those kinds of things. And so what I don't know is I don't know how to go into a company that is not functioning that way and to say, mm-hmm. you just need to change everything you're doing. Like that that doesn't, doesn't <laughs> seem very tractable to me. But I, I know that I'm not sure that I'm excited by going into a company that's having problems like that and saying, no, the, the, like, just stop. Like, I'm not sure that I'm an effective yeah. coach to yeah. coach companies to work in a different way. Well, let me ask you this then. What have you learned from having clients who want you to build software for them that you could apply to this, right? Because I bet you have ideas for how to change process for some of your clients and maybe they are not falling gracefully into your arms, you know, really excited about those. Yeah, I think the biggest 
thing is that you assume that you are being more efficient or having ownership over something by not telling the designers and developers why you're doing something. Mm. By creating silos of this is my responsibility, this is your responsibility, your responsibility is to design this or write this feature, and you don't need to know why you're doing it. It's a really fundamental mistake that a lot of teams make is by not communicating the reason why you are doing something, and this is true outside of software too, by not Mm -hmm. communicating the reason why people can't do their best work. Yes. That's a big change for a lot of companies that we work with and a big change that we instigate in a lot of the companies that we work with is just tell us the reasoning behind Mm -hmm. this so that we can understand it. Tell your team the business reason why this feature is changing in this way. And they may have an even better suggestion, or at least they're going (laughs) to implement that change better than they would have otherwise because they understand the reason why. So, so much of what you're saying, right? Culture of trust, honest conversations, the value of self-management, showing initiative, not seeking permission, doing your best work. That's a good phrase. All of that is, to use your word, like, built on a foundation of trust. Mm. And so what I would say is, although maybe you don't necessarily see yourself as a coach right now, like that could just be the 101. I mean, that is the 101. And perhaps the 101 lasts for like nine months with a particular company, how to be a good company, right? Building trust is like no joke. That Mm -hmm. stuff doesn't happen in 10 minutes. And it doesn't happen by listening to a half hour podcast. And you know, that is something you work at just like anybody who's married would know or anybody who has ever had a successful relationship with uh, siblings or otherwise coworkers. Mm -hmm. So that trust stuff does feel like one of the you know, rock, mineral, air, water, Mm -hmm. trust, like Mm -hmm. the most foundational things. And I bet if we had more hours to talk, we could boil down what makes a good company into a couple of those. And maybe it actually is very similar to the core values that you Mm -hmm. guys have sort of named. Mm -hmm. But I wonder, like, in your experience, why is trust not a given? What do you know about humans and what, why is it that trust is such a scarcity? Because it is, and I hear that all day long. It sounds negative, but I think people's natural reaction is to assume that when something is wrong, like you see, like, oh, I'm doing my, like, you don't see the problem in yourself first. You see it in others. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I think it's, so it's easier to assume like the best of you and the worst of others. I think that is sometimes people's natural reaction to a problem. I think it's why you get defensive when someone gives you feedback or something like that. So I think it's difficult to trust other people. But at the same time, if you think about how you want to be treated, like it's like, no, just trust me. Like trust me in mm-hmm. what I do and and that I'm good. So it really comes back to that fun like do it sounds really lame, but like do unto other, others as you would have them do unto unto you. It's like really fundamental like that. Mm-hmm. I have to tell you, my favorite phrase that humans use is if they start a sentence with, this is going to sound cheesy, but, mm-hmm. and that's like an iteration on kind of what you just said, <laughs> right. you know, whatever the person is about to say, you're going to be in love with them, right? Because mm-hmm. it's it's an, it's an a tiny cue conversationally that I'm about to say something vulnerable and real and what mm-hmm. I really think. And I hope you don't think I'm super lame by saying it, right? Like it's this... I often talk about how I think humans are just constantly emitting like invisible data, like Wi-Fi. 
and they're telling you things all the time, including conversationally, like I just mm-hmm. did mapping out that sentence or, you know, we have more colloquial ways to talk about it, like body language or, you know, ways that people engage, how they're listening, are they on their damn phone all meeting, you know, these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And by paying attention to those little cues, humans are just so much more navigable, right? Yeah. And the the best leaders, I think, are ones that can not only pay attention to those things, but wayfind through that, right? Oh, I know this person is mm-hmm. not trusting me or this person is or whatnot. Also, one of the things that you're talking about is it's e- the easy to assume, you know, your own validity, but not necessarily the others. And one of the things that I have found that makes that more overcomable is if you know someone, if you know them better. Mm-hmm. So a stranger, it's easy to assume you're not doing your best or I don't know if I can trust you. But if you know each other and you're closer to this person, then, you know, you know a few things. Ah, oh, you're kind of sleepy today in this meeting because you just had twins or, you mm-hmm. know, whatever it is, you can assume different things. And I think you could take that up to a nationwide conversation right now with all of us. And that it is easier to trust someone mm-hmm. uh, who voted differently from you if you know them mm-hmm. and you have experienced time with them. What do you do as a CEO and what would you suggest as a model for other companies to help your employees know each other? One of the things that we intentionally did once ThoughtBot started to grow, once we decided that that we were okay with that and that we had an inkling of how to do it uh, and not destroy what we loved about the company, the reason why we expanded geographically was so that we could maintain that close-knit group of people who could work together closely. And we sort of replicated that in different cities And so that's one thing that we do is keep the team small. (laughs) And I've even told the whole team before, like the expectation that you're going to know a hundred people closely is, it's just not going to happen. And so people early on when we were expanding sort of got frustrated and burned themselves out trying to have a connection with everybody in every other studio. And I sort of had to remind people that that's, we're doing this intentionally. Like, don't, Yeah. I'm not saying don't try. Like, you know, if you have a connection with someone or whatever, don't cut it off. But that's not what you should be focused on, really. You should be focused on having as close a connection with the people that you're working with on a day-to-day basis. So what we do is our work is local. So the Boston team works with Boston clients. And we put in these sort of artificial barriers in an attempt to keep things small and focused on those relationships so that we can have them with each other. And I think companies that aren't like ThoughtBot can do that in ways by keeping teams small and making connections between them and that kind of thing and and maybe setting clear boundaries about, Mm -hmm. you know, don't try to have a connection with everyone. Like it's just not realistic. But focus on having the strongest connection with the people that it's most important that you do. So and then we get together as a whole company once a year. And then on a quarterly basis, we make sure that the local teams are doing something outside of work. Mm -hmm. And more and more of that involves like community service and that kind of thing as well. Well, it's perfect that you're talking about that because I think as a services firm, one of the points of friction is that concept of billable hour. Mm -hmm. Right. So like people are going to be nodding along with this conversation like, oh, yeah, that's right. I do want my employees to be close. But then rubber is going to hit the road. Are you going to allow that for a day or two days, a quarter? 
you allow people to do community service together because mm -hmm. that is going to affect a billable question, right? It really does, yeah. Yeah. One of my biggest issues is that companies say that something is important and then they don't give it time or money. You know, yeah. I, I think that happens at a lot of companies. So we only work on client work four days a week. It's the way that we do things. We call the fifth day investment time. Uh, we don't charge clients for that time technically. It's time to improve yourself, the company, and our community. And we call it investment time because we're investing in it. But also when you make an investment, you expect to get a return. So it's it's important that we think about what the return on it is outside of, oh, there's an opportunity cost to the fact that we're not charging for this time. Yeah. What do you do on day five? So for me, a lot of it is doing programming, to be honest. Like it used to be that I would preserve a couple days on my schedule as sort of like the mental health time that I needed to do design and development and stay connected to that was really, it's one of the reasons why I've been able to do this for 15 years is because yeah. I still stay connected to the work and, and still do design and development. And that's really important to me. Now I'm not spending time during the week typically doing that. And so I'm try I set aside Fridays to make sure that I'm, I'm doing that. And the nice thing about it is I'm usually doing that on systems, internal systems. So it'll be taking something that was a frustration for the week and then, you know, adding it into our HR system or something like that. Yeah. So it's like helpful to yeah. just throw away. Yeah. yeah. I have two little boys and I stay home with them two days a week. And I know at some point they will be in school and then probably my schedule will shift accordingly. Mm -hmm. Right. And a lot of people ask me, oh my gosh, I mean, Plucky's doing so great and you could definitely fill five days and I know that I could. But I talk to people who work five days a week and always want a sixth. Right. Like people say things like that, like, oh my God, if I just have one more day a week or, you know, like if I could just invent one more week a month or something like that. And I know that no matter what boundary you set, you're going to wish there was more. Yeah. So if I set five days, I'm going to wish there were six days. Mm -hmm. So I set three days. And definitely weekly, if not more often, wish there were four days to right. my work week because yeah. there's so much to do and not from like a responsibility place, but just so much I feel compelled to do and alive to do and excited and curious about. But that is just a boring problem to solve, right? I wish I had more time. Yeah. Well, you don't, you know. I actually thought it was good when I was setting that boundary of I'm going to work on client work or internal ThoughtBot stuff two days a week. And my CEO stuff like was going to only be three days was actually really good because it forced me to only spend time on the most important things and not get bogged down in things that I think a lot of companies get bogged down on is like things that aren't important. Um, it really did force me because of that limited time. So it was actually not only just healthy from a perspective of like making sure that I stayed connected to the work we were doing and, and sustainable that way, but then forcing the prioritization the other three days was really better for us, I thought, as a company. Well, I will give you a compliment there too, because I think other people may go into that with that intention to say, no, 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 only three days a week, I'm going to be involved in the hands-on stuff. And two days a week, I'll think, you know, meta or bigger picture, but then they don't complete the pass and they don't fully delegate. Mm -hmm. So they still are a bottleneck 
they just pretend they're not involved those other mm-hmm. two days, right? And so like if that's how sort of you found your way there, you should feel really proud of that because the delegation piece is really the biggest part of it. And, you know, this echoes back a little bit to sort of what you were saying earlier on, which is trying to get maybe other forces on the ground and the six locations or other mm-hmm. members of the team empowered to go make decisions and fail. And the best way to do that is to model that, I believe, from the top down, right? Which is well, this guy, Chad, just evaporated. So we don't know where he is. So you got to make it work, right? And to make them feel that uh, without a real safety net is how people are going to, you know, put their grown-up pants on and yeah. go and do those things. As we've been talking, I, I feel like the blocker, you know, we were sort of going down the path of what could be bigger? What could be next? What could be? And mm. I realize the blocker, and maybe it's real or maybe it's imagined, but for me, it's like, I still feel like I'm not the best manager. I still feel like when I have a one-on-one with someone, I'm not having deep, inspiring conversations with people (laughs) that are connecting like what I'm saying here today with you to them and their work and and reality. Because Mm -hmm. day-to-day stuff gets in the, I still make the mistake of having a one-on-one with someone and like we're talking about the to-do list of like what, we're each working on and mm. I know that we shouldn't be doing that I, but I can't we just can't help it <laughs> yeah and so the blocker for me is like I don't feel comfortable moving forward with that grander vision stuff if I don't feel like like I'm doing it internally and for myself and for the people that I that I work with yeah and I guess the first step is deciding whether is that real or is that imagined mm-hmm and I didn't go into this conversation like thinking about it. this is where is what I was thinking about as as we were talking about it. So I'm not sure if it's real or imagined. I maybe have to ask the people that I work with. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that seems like a great takeaway is in your next round of one on ones to ask, what could we do to make this one on one more helpful to you? Mm-hmm. Right. There's a baseball book by this guy, Joe Torrey, who was a manager in the 90s, and he wrote this book on managing. And I um, I often cite it in my manager training conference thing, where he talks about having different cadence to one-on-ones with different people. So like mm-hmm. Wade Boggs, his third baseman, I think he was the guy that was like, yeah, man, I'll see you like once a month. That's what mm-hmm. I need. And then Paul O'Neill, the like right fielder, was like, every week, please, you know. Mm-hmm. And that as a manager, he knew that, oh, different people are going to need different things, right? And from my seat, what I would say is probably once a month is the least frequent you should do. And you could do biweekly or once a week. But regardless, that you hold that time for that person and that you like life is a giant science experiment experiment the hell out of it. Ask them. You know, you can say, how often do you want to talk? Do we need to be talking more often? Are we good? Do you find that 30 minutes is too short? Is an hour too long? Should we take a walk during our one-on-ones, right? Like, should we get out of the office a little? Those Mm -hmm. sorts of things. And you're actually doing a very nice job walking towards what I want to do before I leave you coaching, which is we could do a card. Okay. If that's cool with you. Okay, great. So, one of the reasons so I made this this deck of cards, which is called a one on one starter pack, and it's for managers. And it's because I would be having these coaching sessions, we would jump on a giant topic or a giant question. And, um, you know, we'd have this really fruitful conversation. And then at the end, I'd be like, steal that question, dude, take that back, use that in your one on ones next week. And there was this real reluctance to take that back and use it. Because mm-hmm. 
and you know verbatim the comment was well yeah I, I hear you but like I'm not Oprah right right and I get that and that was very interesting to me and I mulled it over for a few months like how do I get them to know they could just ask that question say those words and anyway the long story short is that I thought they needed something to use as social proof so yeah. I made these cards yeah. that's great so people can get these cards Yes, of course. They can get them on my website, beplucky.com backslash shop. Or is it forward slash? Forward slash. Forward slash. Thank you, technical Chad. I don't think you need to say, just just say slash. Slash. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Look at, I have takeaways from this conversation. (laughs) Slash shop. Anywho, it's on there. And so on these cards are the questions that have been the most fruitful Mm -hmm. in coaching conversations over the last four years, right? And so we're going to pull a card with Chad and make him answer it. All right, Chad. So what I like to do is I'll, like, I have four cards here and one, two, three, four, and you can just choose a number and that's the card. So there's a serendipitous aspect to this. Okay, three. Mm Hmm. You sort of mentioned this before, but I'm curious. Okay, well, if if you think we should do a different one. No, no, no. I love, no. Stand firm. I like this card. All right. The topic of this card is organizational culture. And the question is, what kinds of personalities do well at our company? Hmm. So you touched on it a little bit further, but go deeper with yeah. this. Well, the the biggest one, which is what I mentioned before, is people who will have the personality of rather than seeking permission for something, even in the most subtle ways, like when they have an idea rather than phrasing it in the form of asking permission, they phrase it in, here's my idea, just saying just saying it rather than needing to seek permission. How do you vet for that in an interview? So we ask, tell me the story of a time where you saw something that needed to be improved and you took it upon yourself to do it even though it wasn't your job. Mm. And you can hear through that oh, this is a person who jumps in or Mm. hesitates. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or if they said, oh, they can even say like, well, I had this idea and I went and talked to my boss. Mm -hmm. Even just going and talking and based on the way that they phrased that, it might be an indicator that they more, you know, seek permission rather than than take initiative. Or the most obvious thing, actually, if someone says, it has an example, the killer is when someone's like, hmm, uh... I haven't really done anything outside of my direct responsibility or taken initiative to do something. If they haven't, I mean, that's a really good indicator that they might not thrive in our environment. Yeah. It's also kind of interesting because this is where vetting for hiring for like a cultural fit, this question becomes really relevant, obviously, before they're even hired. Mm -hmm. But then I wonder if you have anything internally at ThoughtBot that rewards that, like a culture of reward against those moments where nobody asks for permission or somebody goes rogue within reason. No, we don't. And it's one of the areas that we've identified. We we have a GitHub issue (laughs) about this kind of thing, actually, just in terms of either a system of reward or recognition or even just incorporating it into our regular performance review process or whatever, like really tying that back to that value and celebrating it when people do it, that kind of thing. It's an area where as a team and a company, we could actually improve quite a bit. Well, I would say like one other takeaway for you then in this conversation is to just fold that regularly into your own Mm one-on-ones. You don't have to wait for the company to have a rule about it or a value painted on the wall about it. I should take initiative to... uh, (laughs) Hey, we're getting meta. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, and and that in your next conversations next week to ask them that question. Tell me about something you did recently that you didn't need permission to do or mm-hmm. that you went forward with anyway. And then recognize that and say, I just want to tell you that's great. I'm glad to see that. Right? right. That's as simple as it has to be because it's this positive reinforcement in the moment. Yeah. At the bottom of these cards, there's always two secondary topics. And those topics are my way as a coach of sort of whispering in the manager's ear who's using this, like, by the way, this is what you're asking about. Mm-hmm. And the two on this card is stress and perfectionism. So again, the question is what kinds of personalities do well at our company? And I think often you can perceive how a person is managing their stress. Mm-hmm. And that comes out in different personality types, right? Like, do we want all type A people who burn out all the time, but pretend they don't? And, you know, but they work hard and they bill 60 hours a week or not or the opposite. And either way, just having that word on the card allows like a different mm-hmm. permutation of the question, right? Um, how do the personalities that work at our company handle stress? Right. Or the second one, perfectionism. Obviously, your answer to this, the ability to go forward without permission, whew, that's like an anti-perfectionist in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Right. So like how does perfectionism cross paths with that sort of personality trait? And again, I, we don't have like hours to dig into it, but that's what I'm saying. Like this becomes a 3D question. Yeah. Right. Many yeah. ways. No, we, this is actually one of the tensions in our, our values is we also recognize one of the the core values in addition to self-management is quality, like seeking quality, not settling. (laughs) And there is a tension between those two things that we talk about with each other in terms of we get hung up, especially now. It was different when we were just starting out and like no one knew ThoughtBot. We didn't, you know, we didn't have the reputation, but now we have such a reputation with the people that we work with and the clients and the team and no one wants to ruin ThoughtBot, right? Ah. And it's almost worth, like, ThoughtBot is what it is because we had nothing to lose. And so we were willing to say no or and to believe in something and to take risks. And on people's first day, I, I part of the talk that I give them is act like you have nothing to lose. Like, like you do not need to worry about screwing ThoughtBot up. If anything, yep. ThoughtBot is way bigger than you can possibly screw up now. Like yeah. you do not need to worry about that. Yeah. And re- realize that it was from that point of being willing to take those risks and to say no that we became successful. And if we're not willing to do that now, we will slide into mediocrity. So So Chad, what I want to land on here to close this conversation is that you should totally take that advice yourself. Yeah that you cannot screw up this company yourself. You could do some pretty heavy damage, let's be honest. You hold a lot lot of keys. But you cannot screw this up yourself because like it or not, it is way bigger than you now. Mm -hmm. And that you need to step into a space of willing to take risks and willing to leap without a net and those sorts of things because that is what gets you out of plateaus. The ability to say, all right, I might still be a mediocre manager, but we're going to try something new. And the, also the willingness, and I think this is what I appreciate so much when I see it, it through leaders, the willingness to stand up and make an example of yourself to say, I'm trying a scientific experiment this week. I'm not sure what will happen. I will report back, you know, but I'm going to whatever, try, mm-hmm. you know, open a new podcast and interview five people for that and see how that goes or mm-hmm. whatever it is, yeah. right? Like you choose your poison there. Does that make sense? It does. 
I really appreciate the advice. I think it's really, really good, really spot on. <laughs> so Great. thanks so much. If people want to learn more about Be Plucky, you already said it's beplucky.com, right? Yep. And if people want to follow you or get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? To get in touch, you should go to beplucky.com and go to contact. There's a little mm-hmm. form there. It's right to me. And on Twitter, I'm Jennifer Derry and also Be Plucky, B-E Plucky. It's funny because this, so again, zooming out from this conversation, this actually felt more like a Q&A rather than a coach. There were aspects mm-hmm. that I was like trying to pull out as a coaching session, right? But also I've never met you. I really appreciate you letting me put you on the spot uh, at the same time oh. as you putting me on the spot. <laughs> I, I hope that everyone enjoyed this episode. Yeah. And if you did, uh, do me a favor and tell somebody about it. Um, it really does help the show to find new listeners if you spread the word as a listener. So, Chad, if I can just jump in there to say one thing, it's not as even simple as just like, hey, tell a friend. You listening, you know that there's something that came up in some part of this conversation that someone you know needs to hear. And that's the person you should share this with. Wow. That's great. Thanks, Jennifer. You're very welcome. Thank you, Chad. You can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. And you can find me on Twitter at cpytel. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarski. See you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, and Raleigh, let's build something great together.